What's up, everybody? Welcome to Salah's Corner with the one and only Salah Muhammad. That was a quieter one because we already already messed up, so I had to redo it. Yeah, and I don't want to. Too wanna... loud. Right now, we, we, we need you. So, what's going on? Yeah. How are you today? Um, I'm all right. I mean, you know, I did my hair yesterday. Looks good. Thank you. Is it locked yet? No. No, it's not. <laughs> How long you been? Uh... I've been locked for three months now. It still isn't like locked locked yet? What? Mm. I mean, I washed it and it's not coming out. Some of them oh, are. Oh, yeah. Then you good then. Yeah. But it still, but it still looks like. It still looks coiled. Yeah. Yeah. I think it'll it'll look like that for a Someone while. Someone that I know that does them, that does hair, she's a cosmetologist. She wanted to try and do the the instant lock method. Mm, but I didn't yeah, want so to, I wanted to I wanted to do the thing. What do you what do you this is about to be a hair tutorial video. What do you <laughs> <laughs> what do you what products do you use? Well, my goal is to not necessarily use any folding products. Uh, um once I'm done. Time. Right now I'm using a moment. It's called Mono's Hair. She's she started out as a YouTuber called Mono's Hair. I never. And now she has like a she has a hair care line. She's like really big now. But I'm I'm using her one of her creams. I don't know. But I'm using it because I have it. Gotcha. And I don't want to waste it. But then after that, I'm going to just be using oil and water. What's in it? Good stuff. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good way of saying I don't know what's in it. <laughs> I just know it's great. It works. Okay, that's good. All right, cool. Yeah, I, I, um, I'm like the, I'm a, I'm a lock expert now. I should start, oh, doing, I should start really? doing videos. Do now. some tutorials. <laughs> no, <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm in what? It. I'm in five. I'm five years in. Yeah, now. you five years in. So you got them. You got the small joints though. I, I can't. Do. I can't live that kind of life. It takes so long to do. My yeah, hair. that's why I'm not. So long. It took. I mean, this took me two and a half hours to do. It takes me easily like five hours. To do no way in the world. I don't. I don't do it myself. I go to uh, Brie was doing it for a while, for years actually. I just recently started going back to a salon. No, I'm not so bad. I'm I'm not doing it. It's I like it. It it it, I like the I like the smaller ones because it just I don't know. It just I I didn't want that much locks. Yeah. I already have extremely thick hair, and so I just I did not want to deal with that. I had like I I think I've mentioned this before. I had full locks, and I Mm -hmm. liked the size that they were, and so. That's kind of what I'm trying to go for now. See, I feel like that looks better on women. The smaller, oh, the no, just thicker locks. In oh, general. okay. I don't think it looks good on men. Oh, okay. I like smaller, like smaller locks, like like just look better for men for me. Hmm. You know, like whatever. I mean, I'm just that's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just. I don't uh, really care. Anyway, what uh, what else is going on? Um, Any new updates? No, no, just living life. Living the locked life. Mm-hmm. It's cool. That's what's up. What about you? What you got going on? So much as usual. Starting to. I'm actually I'm in a in a period where I'm starting to slow down a little bit before mm-hmm. I ramp back up in like the next week. But just you know, planning some activities around just hoping folks get out to boot in the yes, upcoming yes, yes. May primary or May 18th. So look out for that if you follow me on IEG. There's some activities I'm looking to plan. Some people I'm looking to recruit to host events and things like that. Um, just like I'm trying to plan a trip mm-hmm. to somewhere exotic. I know COVID is still a thing, but I need a I need a vacay real bad. Listen, I'm about to lose it. Listen, so I'm I'm hoping actually by I'd like to plan it by the summer, but like also get the vaccine by then. Yeah, I definitely want to. Definitely, I'm definitely signing up to get the vaccine. Yeah. I know people who are like still talking about how they're not getting it. You know all this, but I'm 
don't care. I'm getting it. I, I signed up to get it, so I'm on like the little the city's list. I but, haven't like, signed I'm up not, yet, but I'm I not need even to. close to like the top. Technically, I can get it because I'm technically in a high risk, a high risk category. Category, category. yeah, mm-hmm. because I'm over 35, and technically, I'm obese. <laughs> But over thirty five. I know, is a, is I know I'm not, but yeah, but 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 is over thirty five with that uh, stipulation. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. I know I'm not obese, but according to Doctors. the white man's medicine, yeah. I'm obese. And so technically I can get it. I just thought I was thinking about that the other day. I I'm not even <laughs> my and I'm just for the people to know, I'm not even two hundred pounds. Yeah, no. Yeah, that's, that's it's just weird. dumb. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's I mean it, it, they are really like ramping up. Like the vaccine distribution, and um, I mean it's going to be available to everyone in May anyway. Yeah. So anyway, what else I got? I, that's probably all I got going on. Anybody got some some connects on a on a destination vacation? Holler at me because I'm I'm like trying I'm trying to like Jamaica. That's I'm gonna say don't about. go to Miami. I'm not gonna fly to Miami. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, going, I'm trying to go to Jamaica actually. You're gonna um, get bum rushed by the popos down there. Yeah, I ain't, I ain't thought that It's life. real down there. It's been wild. You seen all the videos? It's wild down they, there. Yeah, uh, they turning the hell up in Jamaica, man. Wild. Anyway, politics meets pop culture. Do we have anything this week? Anything I exciting happening? I can't remember for the life of me. I can't. I, I don't really. I ain't been paying attention to anything that's been happening out there. It was lately. one thing that happened, but then I forgot it. And I was like, oh, I'm going to remember that. And I don't remember what it is. Yeah. It, it wasn't that important, I don't think. It's, you know, I, I really, lately I've been, been turning off like the TV mm-hmm. when I'm sitting at work now at, at home, I'm like, not even like the TV is off. I'm, I'm on meetings, I'm preparing, whatever. So we can go ahead and move on. Let's talk about local. What's happening locally. Former attorney, Carlos Vega, he used to work for the additional attorney's office is running to be the DA against Larry Krasner on the democratic side. So when that happened, he is. They're touting him as a Spanish-speaking FOP back homicide prosecutor. They they work in that. Um, oh, they work in that. They heavy. work in that demographic. They work angle. in that heavy. Man, man. But um, yeah, he's running. He was one of the uh, attorneys that was actually fired by Larry Krasner when he first got in. They're saying that he's saying that that's not a reason why he's running as like a revenge thing. He just, he really thinks that Krasner is the reason for crime going up in the city. And um, he wants to, yeah, he wants to run against him because of that. But he's trash because he believes in the death penalty. So he does, he does. And full disclosure, I'm working on a campaign that's supporting Krasner, but this not necessarily. This has no involvement with that at all. But I'm not working on anything, and he's just trash. I'll Um, volunteer for stuff, but. I just wanted to put that out there, full disclosure. I think that the interesting thing that's taking place with this, and this is why I said, I think I said this on our last episode, or maybe in private conversations, I can't remember, but I say that the city isn't really ready for, the the city talks about, largely, about being progressive on criminal justice reform Mm -hmm. and changing our systems, but isn't really ready for it because you got this guy who's running for district attorney who's basically running on a tough on crime platform without mm-hmm. actually saying tough on crime. Yeah. So, you know, and then the other thing is, you know, I did a simple, like just Google search, not scientific at all, but a simple search of just like the district attorney's race Google in Philadelphia. Scientific. Not at all. I'm shocked, um, but a simple search, just like, well, what are folks saying about this race? And 
the, the large number of articles that were out there were heavily criticizing Krasner directly relating the rise on crime to how he's pursuing prosecution. Mm-hmm. And it's just like a false equivalency. Yeah. You know, it, it ignores that the rise on crime is one related to the pandemic, mm-hmm. two related to the social problems of the city and a poverty problem in the city. Yeah. And so, but, the, but they, and the, the, but the, the media narrative and now this, this other candidate, Carlos Vega is, is using that as a means of like, well, the crime is going up because he's not prosecuting people well. And they're basically ending up right back on the street, committing more crime. And it's just like, what? And and it's like, you know, so the the, the cops, the FOP has supported this this candidate. I think the fire, a firefighters union has supported this candidate. A couple other like unions that, you know, you think would, would support this type of candidate are supporting it. And interestingly enough, I found that, you know, I was, I was talking to a few folks. Again, this also is not necessarily backed up by any uh, evidence or anything, but I heard that there's a large number of like Republican groups in the city that are switching their party status to Democrat to vote for this candidate as well, to mess up the Democratic primary so that they can get the candidate, this candidate that they want to move forward. Mm -hmm. Because they don't think that a Republican would be able to win, but a Democrat with going for the same things that he wants could possibly win in a city like Philadelphia. Yeah, that's wild. Pay attention, people. That's all I can say. Yeah. My thing for local is, so there is a teacher who is under fire in the Philadelphia school district for basically telling students to, you know, reenact enslaved people. You know, Philly teacher under scrutiny after giving an assignment asking students to imagine they were enslaved people. This is a story run out by the Inquirer. I posted it over the weekend on my stories on IG, but it's just like, it's, it's, it's wild. So it was a creative writing assignment given to Lincoln High School students in an African-American history class during Black History Month of all month, during Black History Month, directed them to imagine they were enslaved in one of the southern slave states, particularly one of the states within the Cotton Kingdom between 1820 and 1850. It said they should write an essay explaining how they felt about potentially being sold and ask them to make an argument, plea, etc., to that individual to attempt to get them to consider, reconsider their position or offer an alternative arrangement. So you couldn't think of so any other creative writing assignment than to imagine fuck? yourself as a slave what and plead for point? your freedom? So so force the victim <laughs> to advocate to the, for themselves against violence. Wild. Wild shit. And That's y'all, fucking and, and, insane. And, and this is why our whack-ass of the week that last time was was this superintendent. That's this is, this fucking is nuts. Condition. That's fucking nuts. Yeah, it ain't really nothing else to recap about. It's about not. That. It's like, nothing to say. Y'all, nothing gotta, be, to y'all say. gotta be wild for, for, like, you should be fired. And that, that might be something I might work on in the future. I'm sure. Let's do that. You need, you need to be fired. Alright, we're gonna go into our main topic in a moment after we take a short break. Here at Salah's Corner, I am always looking to connect with new people, hear new perspectives, and share new stories. And right now, I want to hear from you. Email me at realtalk at salahscorner.com and we can get your story featured on our next episode. You know, I haven't really figured out a, a, a name for our main topic, but we're back. We are here with Sarah Hansel. 
Hi. Why don't you introduce yourself to the good folks? Sure. So my name is Sarah Hansel. I am the president of the Philadelphia Young Democrats, and I also serve as a judge of elections in Ward 5, Division 15. And by day, I am a trial attorney. You got a lot of hats. Yeah, you <laughs> have a lot going on. I appreciate that, though. Thank you. Thanks. It definitely feels like that. Some days more than others, but yeah, today's one of those days. I got a lot going on. Lots of deadlines in court and organizing different events for PYD. So, yeah. Very, very, very nice. You talked about you do a number of different things, judge of elections. You talked about some some court activities that you have and President Young Democrats. Let's first dive into who is Sarah? So where do you, you know, you, where, do you, where do you get your politics from? Let's talk about like how you've come to the moment that you are, you know, from whether it be education or upbringing. Cool. Yeah, that's so like deep. Like, but I have been thinking a lot lately, actually, about how sort of my politics and my passion for pursuit of, of justice in the courtroom and then, you know, progressive causes outside of my work has sort of evolved. And I can actually pinpoint a moment. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That's here. So I was 11 years old and I'm originally from West Virginia. So I'm born and raised in West Virginia, which as you can imagine is a rather conservative. Uh, very, very thing. conservative. Right. So certainly more conservative now than it was then, but even back then it was very conservative. So I was also a big nerd and I participated when I was 11 in our statewide youth and government conference. And as part of that participation, you were able to talk to representatives from, you know, your state, from West Virginia. And there was a dinner one night that we had, and it was a bunch of us, so like 11-year-old kids from around the state at the table with a representative, a state, a state rep. And he asked the entire table, so what does everyone think about gay marriage? Hmm. And this was like in 1997. 11. 11. Wow. 11. So he, he made us go around the table and like say what we thought. I happened to be either the last or the second to the last. And everyone was like, oh, I don't agree with it. You know, it's like it's the Bible, you know, all this, all this bullshit. And then, <laughs> <laughs> and then he gets me and I said, I don't really understand. Like, I really don't understand the problem. If people love each other, I don't, I don't see why anybody would be against that. And he said, but what about the Bible? And what about the teachings of the Bible? And I was like, but what about the separation of church and state? <laughs> that part. I know, right? <laughs> and I mean, he ended the conversation very quickly. I think. But the fact that you, a child, had to say that to an adult is mind-blowing to me. It was crazy. And you know what his response was? He said, who are your parents? Like, that was when it really hit me that, I mean, I knew there was discrimination I knew there were you know injustices in the world but I didn't it hadn't hit me until that moment that like politicians and people that should be in charge of like making the world a better place and making the world equal and better for all of us might actually not be doing that and so from that moment where where did that take you you know let's let's go forward in time as from that moment on from there, like, did you, as you started to progress through school, did you know that that was the path that you wanted to take? You know, your your background is in legal. You know, where where did that trajectory go, go forward? Yeah, sure. So I did not know 
that I would get into sort of politics and activism and, and the legal field. I originally wanted to be an actress. <laughs> so, but part of that was because I felt like through the arts, I could help people. And I felt like I could, so much of like things that I went through as a child, I was able to put into art. I was would sing and dance and, and act and I was able to sort of channel that energy and it helped me work through a lot of my personal baggage and I wanted to do that for someone else so it was always sort of about what I, I knew what I wanted to do was help people like I knew that so I went to I actually moved to New York City went to drama school I graduated did some like off, off Broadway stuff but I was always interested in, at that point, it was, again, the LGBT rights movement, marriage equality. And I started doing like grassroots organizing in Brooklyn around that issue, helped with the March on Washington, D.C. And it was just always sort of like, oh, I feel like I can be doing more. And I finally decided, like, look, I got to. I got to contribute somehow, some way to like make change, actual change. Like when I die, I want to have said like, I helped make this world a better place. And I just wasn't, you know, I wasn't doing that through, through theater. And I knew that I needed to, to take another path. So I went to law school and um, still throughout like my law school career was doing a lot of activism. I was in New York at the time, Occupy Wall Street was uh, huge, and I would go on breaks between classes down to Occupy so I could legal observe, which means you serve sort of on behalf of the protesters watching the police. And if there are like arrests or any inter interactions between the police and the protesters, you're there to sort of bear witness and take down information. And if there's anything, you know, if there's any misconduct on the, on the part of the police, you can serve as a witness for the protester. It's interesting. You, you, a lot of folks have moved to that form of activism just this past year, this past summer, with the number of protests that was kicking off, especially in Philly, because like, I mean, I was at personally at a ton of protests mm -hmm. over the summer. And as, as far as allies or accomplices, I like to say accomplices, like those, that's how so many were directing their energy towards like, well, how can you be a supporter to Black people protesting, right? Like not being out there, t being on the front lines, but being more of a supporter and, and watching the protests, making sure that you're identifying bad actors. Mm -hmm. What was that experience like? I'm curious. Oh, for I, you. I mean, I loved it. I still, I still do it when I can today. And I think your point is so... It's, it hits on something, right? It's like, you can't have the people who are, like, for too long, I'll just say, for too long, like, Black and Brown people have been advocating, and other groups too, LGBT people, have been, like, the ones out there, like, with their bodies, literal, literally their bodies, interacting with the police, trying to fight, fight, trying to advocate for their rights, and literally being accosted. So, yeah, if I can stand, like, I'm, I'm a white woman, if I can stand in between that gap for someone, it's an honor, right? It's a privilege. Like, it's, I, I love it. I, I don't know. I feel a great sense of, like, I am protecting this sort of democratic movement. And it's, yeah, it's a wonderful experience. That's, that's dope. I, I love that, actually, because I, I get, you know, <laughs> and after the summer of... Mm -hmm. This, this past summer 2020, you know, so many folks jump into my DMs, 
like, mind you, these are some of the same folks that, you know, because I've been, been this, this platform has existed in some form or another since about 2015, that largely ignored me leading up to the summer of 2020. <laughs> but the second, like, you know, we become politically activated through trauma, which seems to be like a thing that a recurring theme that I constantly have with folks that I invite to the podcast. The first ones to jump into my DMs, like, well, what can I do? How can I help? Like what, what I types feel of like that's, that's, I can take? I feel like that's the majority of, especially black and brown people. That's how they get introduced to the political process is through the trauma that they've experienced mm-hmm. from the system. And so they have to, their way is to figure out a way to remedy that trauma from or mitigate it from happening to someone or you know happening to less people and and then further you know stopping it but i feel like that's most black and brown people's introduction into politics and activism that's so true that is that is very true and i wonder if i i guess this is like not a question that i thought about posing to you but as we're talking about this like not saying that you can speak for all white people or some, <laughs> some shit like that, but like, I just wonder what that, you know, just from, you know, your circle of folks that you come across and engage with, what, like, can you speak to how that political activation or, you know, or like how they, they come to, because I imagine, I, well, I know I personally know a lot of white people that get politically activated because they were grandfathered then. Right. Mm-hmm. Like they have friends and family who served as political leaders or because they got pushed into a political direction from their from their parents and things like that. Mm-hmm. Whereas like black people, you know, I think we have that as well from a but from a activism standpoint. Right. Of, yeah, definitely of, a, of, our a, family. of a resistance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Our family. But more from a resistance standpoint. And then so many new folks, especially young people, which is going to take us into this you feel young Democrats are introduced because of the trauma they experience. Can you just like, just your, I guess just your thoughts. Yeah. Yeah, sure. And I, I yeah, again, like, I guess from a, not speaking for all white people, but <laughs> <laughs> you know, from, I guess the white young people that I know that are involved in our organization, I think a lot of people come to it through, well, first of all, I do agree with you that a lot of people are grandfathered in, but setting aside those people through experiencing, through witnessing the trauma on others, right? Which is, I mean, it is also in a way how I came to it. I mean, I I did experience a lot growing up in West Virginia. I I did see people mistreated and it's just, I mean, mean, I'm not going to explain. I mean, everybody knows, but I do think that that's part of the impetus for young white people to get involved is I see something that's wrong. I want to stop it and I want to be part of the solution. I want to try to make it better. Hmm. So now you're the president of Philly Young Democrats. How you, you went to law school. Where where did that, where, yeah, when did you become president? Question. And like, what was that? Where was that connection thread there? Between law like school and law school and then like president of Philly Young Democrats. Sure. So when I was in law school, again in New York, I got involved in a progressive democratic organization in Brooklyn. The goal of the organization is to push the parties further to the left and and into more progressive issues. So that's why I became involved in more, I was involved in activism before around certain like social issues, like I said, marriage equality, but that was really how I got involved in like politics Mm -hmm. and, you know, talking to political officials and things like that. And 
and going out to try to get people on the ballot, right? So like door knocking and canvassing, all that stuff. So I did that throughout college or throughout law school. And I always knew that as a lawyer, I wanted to represent people. I wanted to represent individuals against corporations. And as part of that sort of work, as I've been doing it for the last several years of my life, I realized how important it is. Like the other end of that bargain is like how these laws are being made. Right. Right. So I'm fighting. I mean, I'm literally in court trying to, I'll give you an example. So I represent not just me, but my, my law firm and a bunch of other law firms that we work with represent people who live in Flint. Their water was contaminated with lead and other harmful substances. And as a result, the children of Flint are going to have neurodevelopmental issues because that's just the amount of lead that they ingested. And a great remedy for them would be to have them monitored basically for the rest of their lives. Like Mm -hmm. paying for those children to be able to, you know, make sure that they're seeing the right doctors, make sure that they're getting educational interventions that they might need to help them through school to help them succeed, make sure that they're getting nutritional services to help try to get that lead out of their body. All of these things in Michigan, that is not, you know, some argue that that is not an available form of a remedy. So it's not available to those children. Now, like our law firm is arguing against that, right? And we think it is. But the fact of the matter is there were lawmakers in Michigan who decided that this shouldn't be a remedy. And they put, they wrote a bill that, you know, made it uh, very, very, very difficult, I'll say that, to, to obtain this form of relief. So, you know, just like how <laughs> I'm fighting and fighting and fighting in court and I, you know, and yet this, the legislatures are, us back. So a uh, long-winded way of saying, like, that's when I realized I have to, not just that case, but for years now, realized I had to get involved in politics and try to, you know, change the laws too. And so you, when did you take on this case? Flint. So I joined the firm that I'm with now. It started it in 2014. The water switch happened in April of 2014. Mm-hmm. Did um, they take up the case back then? Yeah. That's amazing mm-hmm. because... Wow. Because I remember the coverage for Flint back then, and this was, you know, I, I've always played very, paid very close attention to kind of politics. And I remember I was watching Rachel Maddow, and she was like one of the first on a national level to really cover what mm-hmm. was taking place before it was even, you know, people found out they had like legionnaires as a result from the, from the switch. You know, she covered even back in 2012 when the emergency managers mm-hmm. stepped in and basically just like dictatorship control over like black cities, not just Flint, but some other cities. And right. so to, to see, to hear that your the law firm was really like on the ground back then when like a lot of folks really didn't really start paying attention to this until mm-hmm. like 15, 16, mm-hmm. really. And even later mm-hmm. after like really, you know, afterwards. So yeah, that's, that's, that's amazing. Yeah. Well, you know, it's just about believing people, right? Like, that's true. It did not get really national like media attention for some time afterwards, but there were activists. I mean, there were people there every single day, you know, saying with bottles of water that are brown and, you know, 
there were, there were studies being done by like the local pediatrician, Dr. Monahan Atisha, who, you know, revealed that there were increases in lead levels in, in children. I mean, it was all there. It's just, they weren't being believed. Mm. And then, so, so you, you, the, the, the firm starts working on this in 2014. You come on and what year? Yeah, 20, I joined the firm in 2016. 2016. Yeah, so a couple years after. And then... And ever since. <laughs> and and been there ever since, you know, and as you're working on this, you realize that you need to be a lot more active in, in politics, you know, promoting other folks to be civically engaged. When does that bring you then to Philly Young Democrats? Yeah, so I joined Philly Young Dems, we re- rechartered in 2016. It was around the same time. And yeah, I joined a couple months after they rechartered. And at that point, was just a member looking to get more involved. They were rewriting their bylaws. And so I, again, because I'm a super big nerd, volunteered to do that. So I wrote the, wrote the bylaws for the organization. And then, yeah, from there, just got sort of more and more involved. You know, I was very lucky. I felt like everyone in leadership at the time really encouraged me to, to become more active. I think part of the problem with politics and in particular, politics in Philly, it can feel like you can feel like an outsider very easily. Mm-hmm. And it's it's hard sometimes to, like, break through that wall, especially if you're someone who's not from here. You know, we've been there's this is this is like a running theme that we've been <laughs> has come up in like every episode for like the last few weeks now, I feel like. Yeah. Where it's because I'm I'm getting my bachelor's in political science. I just moved back up here from Georgia. And I was talking about how I haven't even bothered with trying to find anything here because it's so hard to get in. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. And that's part of, you know, why it's part of why I wanted to become involved in the leadership in Philly Young Dems, because I see our organization as a tool that can help sort of bridge the divide between like yeah, maybe people who are moving into the city and just trying to figure out, navigate, you know, our political system here, or, you know, activists who want to make change, but who aren't quite connected or or want to connect, right, with other people and to try, and we have, you know, sort of, we have one foot in that and then one foot with the party, right? And so we can help be a conduit. Yeah. Oh, that just, you just, you just, that opens up like, yeah, you you talk about like having one foot with the party, Mm -hmm. but then like one foot with, you know, obviously it's Philly Young Democrats. So like you're trying to get more young people and wrap their, and bring them in. What's that relationship like? And what, what's that relationship like with managing the expectations of the party and also the org? Is it an org? Is it is it like C3, C4, or is it like, what? how are you organized? I, I guess that should better. I should we, ask that. I guess. So we are chartered under the Pennsylvania Young Democrats. Gotcha. Which I believe is a pass. Yeah, I would, that's what I, I, I as I said that, I, I realized it was yeah. probably under a pack. Okay, yeah. so yeah. as you... As you organize, you know, trying to bring more young people in, but then also like trying to stay true to the party and understanding that like the mentality of young people is like, fuck it the butts, party. It butts, <laughs> like, it butts heads. Like, like, it, let's be it, real. It, they go at odds a lot. Yeah. So what, yeah, what's that? How what's are that? you, how do you manage the expectations? Yeah. Of both sides, really. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, 
You're right. I mean, I think a lot of there's a it's interesting because I think one way to look at it is attention, right? Or, or butting up heads. I like to think of it as like a compliment, which is probably too optimistic. But <laughs> I mean, here's the deal, right? Like the party in Philadelphia, I mean, we need young blood. Yeah. There are the majority of the committee people, board leaders of elected officials in the city skews it towards the older, right? I think most committee people and board people are most of them are retirement age. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. And there's a recognition, and I think we have a good working relationship with the party on this point, but they need, you know, young blood. They need people, the next generation, to, like, come in and, like, take these positions and move the party forward. And so to, to that, I think it's, it's almost like there is a – I think it doesn't seem that way sometimes, but there is there is that welcoming because – it's a necessity. I mean, what else are we going to do? I mean, I think as far as the sort of active of the managing members' expectations or sort of how do we, I guess the real question is like, how are we pushing the party in a, in a progressive mm-hmm. direction, right? And I think the answer to that is we have to keep the dialogue open with the party, which is what I try to do with our organization. We have events where we invite, you know, elected officials to speak and we talk to them about, you know, the issues that we care about and they are asked our questions and, you know, they, they give answers, right? And I think that it's through sort of that dialogue that helps sort of to build that, bridge that gap and then also supporting young people who want to run. I mean, that's another huge part of our organization is we want to give young people who are interested in running for office the tools to do that. So we've had, for example, like this year we've had I think two, let's see, yeah, two different meetings centered around how to run for office. Those two were centered around how to run for um, election board positions, judge elections, basically. But you know, we had speakers came come in that would just tell you how to how to do it, the nuts and bolts. And so you know that way we're getting these young progressive people in the party, right? And they're changing the party through politics. So, you know, you're engaging young people, it sounds like through trainings, mm-hmm. right? Which is, a, I think, is a huge benefit to be able to, like, give them something tangible that they're learning as they're coming out of this. What are some other ways that Philly Young Democrats are engaging with young people? I'll ask my second question after that. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Um, yeah, so we've been providing trainings for how to run for office. We also have been conducting, like, before the election in 2020, we did a lot of get-out-the-vote efforts, which was very popular, as you might imagine, amongst, <laughs> amongst young people. We yep. had a lot of volunteers. So, you know, and it was all sort of COVID-compliant, just dropping literature off at people's doors. And also voter registration efforts, which were, again, like, and what we would do is we would go to, like, the protests, for example, and you just have people with a clipboard registering voters. And there was a huge amount of engagement from our membership about uh, doing that and also with the get out the vote. And then after the election, we would go back to the communities that we canvassed and we do a day, like a cleanup day just like give back to the community try to like there's there's a lot of campaign literature that just gets left up and it turns into trash yeah and you know we gotta it's it's sad so you know we're trying our best to like 
do that as well. And yeah, I mean, I think that's those efforts to, to, I guess, really give young people a chance to get involved in the process. I mean, if you give young people that chance, they'll take it. Yeah. What? I, I agree. If you if you give young people the chance, they'll take it. But then also the second they take the first chance, they're like, I won't say hooked for life, but like it's more likely that they're hooked for life. The chances of them being repeat users of the political system are so high when they take their first action, regardless of like, you know, the election. Type, well, especially the bigger elections like presidential and like the Senate and things like that. Do you do do you engage your? So I, I, it sounds like you have a membership base kind of engagement. Do you engage your your members, your young members, on the like? What is you know the dissuading thing that's keeping them from? being engaged because i'm just curious as to like what are some like young what what are the what are their thinking and feelings about like just young civic engagement in the city and like unique ways to to kind of motivate them outside of the like because we we the one thing that we see and we saw heavily in this past election and i'm a part of different groups that have done this is like you see a huge focus during presidential elections and then once we get to off-year elections like this year the, the engagement needs to be different than like lit drops and GOTV act, get out the vote activities. Sorry, I got start talking in in the in the acronyms. No, I, I think people know the lingo at this point. I don't yeah. think the average person that understands what GOTV is. Um, that's no. Uh, well, they now they you know. Not, they do not. Not that's not like a shade to anyone. That's just like I I name that because I think that is also how like young people start to feel excluded from the process mm-hmm. yeah, is because we we mm-hmm. assume they know the jargon and lingo mm-hmm. and like so like you know I guess the question really goes back to that it's like what are young people saying that's keeping them out of the process mm-hmm. and then like during those off year periods uh, like like you mentioned like you know going back out to those communities and doing things like in- engagement like what what are some other ways that you would like to see not just Philly Young Democrats, but just as a whole, how we engage with young people. Yeah, yeah, sure. So it is it is a wave, right? Like it's it feels like every four years there's a big push and then after that it it dies down. And I think part of that is what we talked about earlier, where people feel I mean, in advance of a presidential election, you are getting, I don't know about you or anyone of your listeners, but like you're getting a lot of, you know, how can you help? I, you know, there's, there's emails, there's, you know, things on TV or on social media. I mean, there's a lot of outreach to try to get people out there, which is great, but then that dies down and, you know, that's how you lose, that's how you lose people. So in the Philly Young Dems, we try to just keep, you know, that engagement. I mean, we try to just I have a list of our, you know, top volunteers. I try to email them every month, try to give, you know, some sort of engagement that we can do. I think that's effective. But I don't know. I think, I think there's also, I mean, look, people are busy, right? Like we're young people. We're out there trying to like make a living. We have like college debt. I mean, we just, we have lives. Some of us are trying to like, you know, people are having kids. Like it's, you're living your life and it's hard to dedicate energy 
to say, okay, I'm going to go out for this, you know, uh, campaign that I really don't understand much about. Mm -hmm. Like it's a local campaign. I really don't get it. You can activate people for the presidential election, but it's harder when you're talking about things like judges or, you know, city council, because people don't really have an understanding, like, well, what is this going to do for me? Which is actually, it's so, it's ironic, right? Because those are the people that are probably going to impact you and your daily life so much, so much, so much more yeah. than, you know, who's in the White House. So I think it's just about, from all I can all I can say I can do, and we can try to do as Billy Young Dems, is just get that message out. Try to talk about how important these local elections are and why you should care. And then, you know, build, keep building and building, right? Keep volunteers... People like you, like you said. Once you do it, you kind of get hooked because it feels so good, mm-hmm. right? You really feel like you're getting. Especially hooked. when you you vote for someone that wins. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh my god, it's the best feeling, mm-hmm. right? And yeah, so then hopefully they share that with their friends and it's organic. Um, you mentioned judges and things like that. So obviously Philly is in a election. Well, so for folks who don't know, Philly is always in an election year. Every six months okay. we vote. If the folks don't know, remember now, we are always voting, so we should always be talking about voting. I think of this the uh, system, right? Let's, let's, let's think larger now. We talked about earlier the traumas that come into, right, like being politically activated because of some trauma, whether it's personal or familial or, mm-hmm. you know, what you witness, whatever. Is... What is your, I guess, your thoughts around the changing that aspect of how we get engaged, right? And it being more of, because like the one thing that you mentioned, like when you were growing up, you wanted to be uh, an actress, right? Like, I don't know how many people growing up saying like, I want to be in like public service or, or, or a politician or whatever, right? A city leader or, or state leader, right? And so like, I think for me, I think personally, that means that there's something fundamentally wrong with the process, right? Because our society, the success of our society, the the longevity of our society is solely based on people actually getting involved with the civic process. Yet what is uplifted more and like the focus point, the fun activities is like the actors, the ball players, the musicians, things like that, where it's like, how, how do we how, essentially like how do we bring the fun into politics and actually bring it to folks in in a way, especially at a younger age, that starts to be more of like careers that they can actually go towards, right, and achieve. Like when when you're young, right, somebody says that I want to be president one day. It's like oh, that's cute, right? Like that's usually that's the that's the the feeling that you get from that, that's that's such a cute thing. You want to be like, no, that's a real fucking thing. Like, right. that's a real job. I should be able to, five years old, I should actually say I want to do that. But it's not, it's not taken seriously. And then as you move through education, it's like, it's not, you know, politics isn't as important, civic engagement as important. And so like, what, just what are your thoughts on like that? Yeah. So I think as a society, we've failed to uplift civic engagement in the way that we should. And, you know, I've talked to people, older generations who've said, you know, back in my day, like they taught civics and they taught you, you know, the vote and all all these things. And, and, you know, I can't speak to what was or wasn't taught in a different generation, but what I can say is like, 
I never was taught the importance or the value of any of that. And I was never taught by adults that, you know, these types of positions, not just president, right, but, you know, political people, your, your state representatives, for example, that those were important and just causes, that those, that was, it's something to aspire to be. And I think part of that, so I think the lack of focus on civic engagement, but then also there's, I think, and it feeds into this, I think the reason, part of the reason for that is because politicians are seen as like, easy and like liars corrupt right right and you know there's something to that sometimes yeah i mean and so i think part of that work is is going to come down to like rooting out that corruption and uplifting the true civil servants right like like uplifting the people who are really upholding you know the values of the office and are really trying to make the city and and the state and the country a better place. What's your, what's the direction you want to take for the young Democrats? I want, I want us to grow an army. That's what I want. I oh, want you can't say army now. The conservative <laughs> movement will be like, you're threatening us. That's a, that's a, they're going to use this clip as a direct threat to their lives. And when they start killing people, I mean, I feel like that's what they do, right? Anyway. I mean, they, they, they do it, but I mean, so what? They're going to do it anyway. Very true. That's Very true. true. They're going to do it's it anyway. Already, yeah. They're, they don't care what I have to say. A righteous army. But really though, I mean, that's what I want. I want more people who are volunteering I want more people who are engaged in the process. I want more young people who are running for office. I want more young people talking to the elected officials, holding them accountable. I want young people to feel like they have a voice and a place in this city and that they are actively making change in the city. That's what I want. How can uh, people get involved with Philly Young Dems? Yes. So come to our website. It's phillyyoungdems.com. And there's a section of the website where you can click on to be a volunteer. You can also sign up to be a member, even though technically if you live or work in Philadelphia and you're under 40, you're automatically a member. And you can also join that, follow us on Facebook um, and Instagram. And then, like I said, election season, because we're always in election season. May 18th is the primary for Philadelphia. We have judges. We have the district attorney. I notice a lot of folks really paying so much more attention to the judges than the district attorney's race. Very important. But like, it, not only is it important, I think people are just writing it off as though Krasner is going it's to automatically in. in there. And I don't, I'm not sold on that 100%. But that aside, what, what, what are engagement? things that you have coming up for Philly Young Democrats as far as uh, the the upcoming primary? Yeah, sure. So we did actually just have a a judicial forum last month. So it's funny that you mentioned that. (laughs) Um, But we are, we're teaming up with a bunch of other organizations, Philly Go, the Asian uh, American Bar Association, LGBT Bar Association, Liberty City, to host a debate between the candidates for district attorney. So that is going to take place on April 19th. It's going to be virtual via Zoom. So definitely check it out. They will be, you know, invited both to come and we'll hear from both of them and see what they have to say. We also have our next general meeting is on April 15th. 
And that is it's actually not, that one is focused less on the primary, but what we're focusing on that meeting is the judicial gerrymandering bill that might be on the ballot in November, which we can talk more in depth about if you want or, or not. It's a whole, that's a whole, that's a whole can of worms. Uh, I guess in summary, like basically the Republicans in the state of Pennsylvania are trying to take away your voice and your vote to choose your um, judicial candidates on the appellate and Supreme Court level. We, that's a recurring topic Too, that yeah. we've, we've brought up a number of times. We talked about it last week with mm-hmm. Jalen or mm-hmm. is it last week at this point? I don't, I don't remember how these episodes come out. Every two weeks, whatever. <laughs> last episode, we talked about that with Jalen. It, it just, so I had a, I was about to wrap up, but I just had something that I wanted to mention as it relates to the judicial gerrymandering, which seems to be a new fight that's playing out with the redistricting. And so it seems as though on the state level, so we all took the census last year, right? Which means the following year we go through redistricting, which means that we redraw those maps. So a few years ago when everybody was pissed off about gerrymandering in Pennsylvania and the Supreme Court struck down the maps that were drawn and you know forced new maps to be drawn, that's coming again in case you didn't know. And so there's this five seats. I'm, I'm going to truly butcher this explanation of this. There's this five seat review of redrawing these maps for the states that's supposed to be bipartisan. So two two Republicans, two Democrats, and then one kind of, you know, middle of the road person. And right now there are some folks who you know, so they have the, the four people picked and now they're fighting on who that fifth person is. So my understanding is that fifth person has routinely gone unpicked and the Supreme Court ends up having to pick someone for that. And depending on who that fifth person is, is whether or not Republicans are going to continue forward with the judicial gerrymandering. So it's like we want to either gerrymander redrawing the whole state for 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 a state elected offices or we want to gerrymander the courts you pick which one we want no, that's fine. that seems to be the, the the plan of attack that republicans are moving towards hmm. have you have you heard it? i'm totally dropping this on you we didn't talk about this before <laughs> but this was a conversation that i had with someone who i can't name like last like really literally like the day after you and i talked hmm. i have not i mean i know i I don't know. My understanding is that that panel was mandated by the Supreme Court to be to be impaneled. But no, I don't know the the dirt about that. Fair. Anything else you want to? No, I don't think so. I think he was very. You no, know, he gave a lot of good information. You told people where to, you know, come and and join Philly Young Dems to be a part of it. No, I think it was great. Anything else that you'd like to share, Sarah, with with the folks out there? How folks can can join uh, you send me all the links we'll make sure it's in the show notes of everything but anything else you just wanted to, to spotlight on um i just my gratitude for being here <laughs> thank you to both of you thank you for coming thank you for coming i we love praise over here so really i do. appreciate it whoop, whoop to that sarah hansel president of philly young dems judge of elections see all these hats that you're wearing i'm trying to remember it all lawyer 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 by, uh, lawyer by day civic engagement superhero by night <laughs> oh, uh, i love that <laughs> <laughs> we appreciate you being here thank you sarah thank you, thank you.
Hey everybody, I know throughout this pandemic, everyone has been saying we're all in this together. Well, here at Salah's Corner, I want to really hear from you and what you're enduring during this pandemic. Give us a call and leave us a voice memo and we'll play that on our next episode of Salah's Corner. That number is 267-225-5891. Share with me your thoughts, your feelings, things that you're doing to survive during this pandemic and you'll get your memo featured on the next episode of Salah's Corner. All right, welcome back. Um, hope you enjoyed that conversation with Sarah Hansel. Yeah, that was really um, very um, Democrats. It was a good conversation. It was, and there was so much more that I wanted to cover. But yeah, it was, it was a lot more that she that we could have gone yeah. into with her and yeah. just discussed. But now it's time for our white ass of the week. Mm-hmm. Farrah, you want to take it away? Sure. So my white ass of the week this week is the Georgia State Patrol. Mm. Why the Georgia State Patrol? Because during the signing of the most regressive voting rights bill signed in history since the Jim Crow era, Representative Cannon Park, she is a black queer woman, is a rep of Georgia, was arrested for knocking on the door where the governor was signing the the bill. Mind you, he was signing the bill in front of a picture of a plantation. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So she was arrested. And she was she's facing two felony charges for felony fel, felony obstruction and preventing or disrupting general assembly session. She's a representative who wanted to watch the signing of the bill. She literally knocked on the door. They said she was banging on the door. There's video of it. Yeah. You can see it all over the place. She's just knocked on the door and they arrested her. So Georgia State Patrol gets whack ass of the week for me. That, that's interesting, actually, and it actually made me think of my whack-ass. So my whack-ass of the week is uh, none other than Georgia Governor Brian Kemp mm-hmm. for even signing and privately pushing this legislation uh, to the forefront behind closed doors. So this essentially is a very, very much rolls back voting rights in the state of Georgia where you can't even give people in line water for as they're trying to vote. So Brian Kemp get some my whack ass of the week mm-hmm. for regressive voting. and everyone's a winner in whack ass of the week Everyone don't get it twisted everyone's a winner <laughs> all right vote for whack ass of the week and my ig thank you as always for listening and please yes, email thank you, thank me you, thank you. your feedback at real talk at i guess y'all can email me y'all feedback i don't get none but if you want to you can email me <laughs> give me give me your email i'll put it in there okay all right cool um Alright, uh, Salah's Corner is recorded out of Rec it's a space for creative individuals. It's produced by the great Reina, producer the great, I'm gonna go with that one this week, producer the great Reina, and with my co-host, my lovely sister Farah. Until next time, peace out. Bye show. guys.